Brothers and sisters, I count it a great joy and a high honor to be able to serve you this morning in preaching God's Word. As you are aware, there is a team of us that is taking shape and we are making preparations to be sent out by you to go replant First Baptist Church of Situate. We don't know exactly when that will be, Lord willing, in the next few months. There are still many details that are still to be worked out. But as I look forward to First Baptist Situate and the work that lies ahead there with excitement, my heart does feel the weight of the reality that my time as one of your pastors will soon come to a conclusion. And as we look ahead to First Baptist Situate, there is still much that we, as we go, Need your prayers in, need your support in, need your partnership in. And yet as we prepare to go, it is the very truth that the passage this morning presents to us that is the confidence and the strength by which we go. It is the resurrection and the power that lies behind it and the promise of the Lord who raises the dead that is the fuel that gives us hope in undertaking this work. And so I ask on behalf of myself, but also on behalf of those of us that are going and the team that is still taking shape, that you would lift us up in prayer as we go, that the power of God who raises the dead might be at work within us and might be at work within the community that we are going to. And yet, as we go into this work, we go not only in need of the resurrection, but we go aware that, brothers and sisters, you who are here need this same power, need this same strength and mercy and might of God to be the strength by which you live and fulfill your responsibilities as a church. You see, brothers and sisters, the promise of the resurrection that we are going to see today, it shakes us, it moves us from an easier today-oriented kind of thinking and puts our eyes upon God and His power at work in raising up worshipers to exalt His name throughout eternity. Let me say that again. The promise of the resurrection shakes us from today-oriented thinking and puts our eyes upon God and His power that is at work in raising up worshipers to exalt His name throughout eternity. We all need the resurrection of our Lord, not just in that last day, but in this day as well. We're going to explore this through verses 18 to 27 of Mark 12. So let's dive in and see what the Lord's Word tells us. Then the Sadducees, who say that there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Let's pause real quick. The Sadducees were spiritual leaders in Israel. They were part of a greater spiritual leadership body over the people of Israel. Um, But they, the Sadducees specifically believed that only the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, only these first five books of the Old Testament were valid 
as the word of God and as the authority over the people of Israel. So they come to to Jesus with this in mind. Jesus who is talking about the resurrection and they, they who think there is no resurrection. They come and they say in verse 19, let's read on. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children... The man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Let's pause. This question that the Sadducees ask is one of those questions that asks one thing, but in all actuality, it's asking something far deeper. See, the first question of asking whose wife or which man will this woman be married to, this woman who was married multiple times, This question is what seems to be being asked, but the deeper question that the Sadducees are asking is really a question along the lines of, Jesus, you don't really believe in the resurrection, do you? Because as we see it, it is not compatible with what Moses taught us. So Jesus hears the question that they verbally asked, but he hears the question that is behind that question. And he responds in verse 24. Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Now this question of the Sadducees was rooted in the command that was given in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 25 regarding marriage and remarriage. When a husband died. This command that the brother of a deceased man was to marry his brother's widow was given in order to keep the family line intact, in order to keep the heritage, the lineage going. Now the Sadducees, they are not misquoting scripture as they come to Jesus and ask this question, but they are misunderstanding scripture as they come to him and ask him this question. The question itself is, at its most basic form, nonsensical and unrealistic. But they are trying to make their point, and they're attempting to illustrate the foolishness that one must have to believe in something as ridiculous as a resurrection of the dead. But Jesus replies to them and says, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now I want to pause for one moment. It is possible, in fact it is likely, that there are some with us today. 
for whom this concept of the resurrection or the dead rising seems to you to be quite foolish. Or maybe not so foolish, but odd and difficult for you to wrap your mind around. It ought to be a little strange to all of us. The reality that we know is one of birth, life, death, and gone. But the Bible teaches us and Jesus shows us that though we physically die, spiritually we do live eternally, all of us. In eternal judgment or in eternal joy. And all who are in Christ, those who are in Christ, those who have repented of their sin against him and believed in him for salvation from that sin and from the right judgment of God upon them, they will experience the resurrection on that last day when our dead bodies will be raised and transformed and at that day we will be more alive than we are at any point in this life. So if you're with us and this concept of the dead being raised seems a little odd, know that you are surrounded by people who by God's grace have gone from this spiritual death to life. And God's word tells us of the hope that is in Jesus that we too will be raised one day. Our hope is in this Jesus who died in our place for our sins and who was resurrected and gives us the hope of resurrection. See, the Sadducees, they did not believe in a resurrection. They believed that God's word, that Moses himself taught that this life is all there is. You live, you grow, you marry, you have a family, you leave a legacy in this world, and that is it. And Jesus is saying to them, you are, in fact, mistaken. You are entirely mistaken, both on marriage and on man. And your question, which is not an honest question at the outset, the idea of a woman, seven husbands dying and no children with any of them, and and just the idea, the mechanics of it is not realistic. But Jesus is saying to them, you are mistaken on marriage and you are mistaken on man. They are mixed up in trying to take their present understanding of marriage and shoehorn it into eternity. This is what Jesus says to them in verse 23, or or what they're asking in verse 23, excuse me. They are saying at the resurrection, should we believe in this, whose wife will this woman be since the seven were married to her? They are trying to shoehorn the natural into the supernatural. They are trying to shoehorn the present into the eternal. And the issue at the heart of this passage, though, is not marriage and remarriage. The issue was the validity of the possibility of resurrection. And Jesus hears this question and he says to them, you are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God and your question betrays that reality about you. You see, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, for they will be like the angels in heaven. Now, when we think of angels, sometimes we don't know what to think. You might think of a cute little baby sitting on a cloud playing a harp. You might think of a bright, majestic being who is 8, 10, 12, 15 feet tall, 
The truth about angels is that for the mystery that surrounds them, we have the certainty of knowing that there are beings whose sole purpose is to magnify God with every fiber of their being, and it is in the splendor of His majesty that they move, and it is in the splendor of His majesty and the overflowing radiance of all that He is that is the fuel upon which they live and glorify and magnify their God for all of eternity. So Jesus says, when the dead rise, they'll neither marry nor be given in marriage, for they will be like angels in heaven, caught up with something far greater than marriage. Sometimes when we think of heaven or of resurrection, we might be tempted to think of something that, as one commentator calls it, where we might think of a reanimation of all that is good in this life. Relationships will be there with those I love, minus the pain. Life will be there, minus the sickness. This world will be there, minus the natural disasters. We can think of reanimation of all that we hold dear in this life. When in fact Jesus is saying the resurrection will not be reanimation, it will be complete transformation. See, we will not be angels, but we will be resurrected beings whose sole purpose is to emanate the glory of God in Christ Jesus as we spend our resurrection continually beholding and being absolutely satisfied by the very God who created us and completes us in himself. In the resurrection, the message of the gospel is that the power of God is not found in a family line continuing, as is being asked about here, but the power of God is found in God giving new life to the dead and bringing them into his family. Jesus tells them in verse 26, Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the accounts of the bush, how God said to them, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Have you not read this? For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus is telling the Sadducees that they don't understand the Scriptures or the power of God because they don't see the supernatural wonder of the resurrection even in Moses' writings. This is why Jesus quotes Moses back to them. See, in Exodus 3, where Jesus is quoting from here, it's a familiar account. If you remember back from our series in Exodus A couple of years ago, Exodus 3, where Jesus uh, is quoting from, is God calling Moses, and God is, 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 is speaking to Moses in this burning bush. And God calls Moses away from his home in order to go lead the people out of, uh, people of Israel out of Egypt. And what does God give Moses as a promise of his faithfulness for him as he goes? And what does he tell Moses to tell the people of Israel? When you go to them and tell them that I have sent you to them, tell them that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent you. For your hope for faithful trust in the Lord amidst a calling to leave Egypt in all of her slavery and hardship, but in her familiarity as well, to leave that for the unknown world outside of Egypt, your hope in that is the promise that your God is a God who gives life to the dead. And even the patriarchs that you look to as the founders and the leaders of your people, though they have physically died, they are with the Lord and they are alive. 
See, just as all who are in Christ today, yet are physically dead, are now spiritually alive in the presence of God as they await a bodily resurrection. That is the place that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in as well. Though physically dead and awaiting resurrection, they are spiritually alive and they are with their God. You know, as we consider the resurrection, and as we consider words like this, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God not of the dead, but of the living, our hearts might be stirred towards thinking of the poignant, grief-filled beauty of a Christian funeral. For we who are Christians grieve the loss of life and the separating from fellow Christians that we love. And as Pastor Cody mentioned earlier, perhaps this holiday season will be the first time where that seat is empty at the table. But as Christians, we are sustained in the promise that we will reunite again with that beloved fellow believer around the throne of our resurrected Lord. And brothers and sisters, we grieve and mourn fully aware that we are residents in a world where death is real and and resurrection is needed. But we grieve and mourn with hope because we have a resurrection that is certain because of a Savior who has defeated death in His resurrection. And so the strange, tear-filled, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing beauty of a Christian funeral is that perhaps at a funeral like few other places, this is where the triumphant cries of resurrection hope echo the loudest into this natural world of death. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus tells the Sadducees they don't understand. And his word to us as well is make sure you do understand this. Jesus says to them in verse 24, he asks this question, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? The scriptures and the power of God that Jesus says the Sadducees don't know, these are the scriptures and the power of God that do not leave the people of God without hope. The incredibly sad thing about this encounter is that the Sadducees knew their Bibles enough to quote them in asking Jesus this question, but they did not know them well enough to know the power of God and know who it was that they were asking this question of. Sure, they had verses memorized that helped them perhaps to sleep at night or helped them to go on about their business in life, but they did not have the unshakable power of God that would sustain them in that dark, night of the soul when it would seem that all is crashing around them. And brothers and sisters, your hope, my hope, our hope in that dark night of the soul when all seems lost in the world that you once thought you knew seems dreary and unforgiving and unfamiliar, the Word of God will either be distant and void of solace to you, or it will be the supernatural dynamite through which your Creator and Redeemer reminds you of His power and strengthens you in that moment. See that resurrection strength to go on in the midst of the dreary, unfamiliar, unforgiving world 
comes through the Word of our Lord and the power that is therein. See, it is through His Word that you intimately know not just that, yes, this world is dreary, unforgiving, and unfamiliar, but it is through His Word that you intimately know a glad, forgiving, merciful, gracious, and present Father who gives you the grace that you need for that moment, who gives you the grace you will need for the next and for the next and for the next and for the next, and will give you all the grace you need to lead you all the way home. Like so many of those who would come to challenge Jesus as He taught and made Himself known as the Messiah of God, the One sent to bring life to His people. Like so many Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, elders, teachers of the law, everyone, their rebukes, their questions are so terribly audacious and so terribly sad because they reveal how far they were from knowing Him. See, church family, if the promise of the resurrection shakes us like it ought to have rattled the cages of the Sadducees, and if the promise of the fact that the dead do rise, this very unnatural thing, this supernatural thing is a very real and present reality and promise for all who are in Christ, if this is truly the case, as Jesus says, then it ought to rattle us and take our eyes off of what might lead us down into that pit today. And it ought to put our eyes upon God and His power at work in raising up worshipers to exalt His name throughout eternity. And now let's think about how this shapes us by looking at what Jesus says about eternity, taking a different look at this passage and looking at what He says about eternity and seeing how this eternity shapes our present. So I'm going to read verses 24 to 27 again and we'll consider some implications and applications of this. So Jesus replies to their question, Are you not in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Perhaps a question that is most asked as we consider this passage in light of Jesus' words, when he says there will neither marry nor be given in marriage, we ask the question, are you saying there will be no marriage in heaven? Will I know my spouse? Will I know my family? I believe that in the resurrection we will know one another and have awareness, perhaps, of our relationships in this life. But the shared identity that we will have is not due to our family on earth. But our shared identity will be rooted in the fact that we are brothers and sisters in the family of God with a greater purpose than to fulfill our marital relationships in whatever heavenly mind we might envision them. See, I believe that we will not be anticipating seeing the faces of those that we loved in this life 
we will anticipate seeing the face of the very Lord who gives us life. The woman in the hypothetical question posed by the Sadducees will not be looking for any of her seven husbands for her heaven to be complete. She will be consumed with Jesus Christ, the perfect groom to his bride, his church. That is the groom that she will be looking for and the groom for whom heaven will be wonderful. Today in marriage, so let's think about it. That's the reality of eternity. How does this shape us today? Today in marriage, the pursuit of caring for one another within the bonds of marriage and humility and service and love and sacrifice and ultimately partnering together to set uh, eyes together on Christ is all in preparation for the resurrection where we will be finally and fully perfected into the image of Christ. So we are helping one another along in this, in marriage in this life, preparing each other for eternity. I love how Tim Keller describes it in his wonderful book, The Meaning of Marriage. Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage. He writes, Within this Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and to get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey that you are taking to His throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and I will say, I always, knew like you could, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. For we will, neither be, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but we will be like the angels in heaven, rejoicing in all that God has done in us and through us. What about my broken or disjointed experience or desires when it comes to marriage and family? What about my desire to be married and it has not happened yet? Or what about the reality that family for me is a headache and a heartache? And there's much tears and there are much sorrows. Some of you, heaven is not, the idea of heaven is not one where you consider being with family for eternity. A week like Thanksgiving is enough. The promise of the resurrection tells us that marriage and family in this life is not ultimate, but is temporal. It is a temporal reality and nothing more. So when you consider whether someone is married for 50 or 60 or 70 years in this life, it is actually when you consider the scope of eternity that is rather inconsequential when you consider 50,000, 60,000, 70,000 years into eternity. And where the wonder of the resurrection reaches from eternity and reaches into our day and informs us in its power is that this life of the resurrection of new birth, of God giving us a new family, is that it because of the resurrection, we who are in Christ are given a family that lasts into eternity and we share in this same spiritual responsibility of looking upon the resurrected Christ together. You realize when we call each other brothers and sisters, that is not because we don't have anything better to call one another. But we who are in Christ have been spiritually given new birth and we have been adopted into a new family of which we have been knit together to walk together towards eternity and the full and complete revelation of the family of God rejoicing in our God. 
So brothers and sisters, make special effort to pursue your brothers and sisters in walking alongside of them towards the resurrection. Married brothers and sisters, make effort to walk alongside of and encourage your unmarried brothers and sisters in the body. Unmarried brothers and sisters in the body, make special effort to walk alongside of your married brothers and sisters in the body. They may be walking through great difficulties, great hardships, and they need the encouragement of their brothers and sisters. There are other realities of the resurrection and its promise that give hope to our hearts today. As we consider prayer needs, as we consider all that our church family might walk through, particularly considering physical needs at this time, some of you walk through deep, chronic, crippling physical needs. Illnesses that confound the doctors. Mornings that you wake up and the first thought you have is of deep pain. And you know that that will ride with you throughout the day and it will likely be the last thought before you mercifully fall asleep for a few fitful hours of rest. The promise of the resurrection is that God is the God of the living and not of the dead. And that your crippling, painful, physical conditions will be but a memory in light of a resurrected body where every muscle, joint, tendon, bone, and organ will function at full and perfect capacity for all of eternity. As we consider the pains of relational strife and conflict in this world full of sin, the joy of the resurrection will be the perfect harmony that we will share with brothers and sisters in the people of God as hearts have been redeemed and the ugly old strife Grudges and conflict that once plagued us will be eradicated and will be no more. For God in His power is creating a people for the praise of the glory of His name. So our hearts will be made perfectly right towards one another because our hearts will be made perfectly right in reflecting upon and considering the glories of our risen Lord. Our hearts, our griefs, our strifes, our pains, our conflicts will experience resurrection. As we meditate upon the betraying effects of mental illness and the pains both within and without to those who walk with mental illness or those who walk alongside of those with mental illness, we look forward to the resurrection of minds, of emotions, where anxiety, where depression, where chemical imbalances, and many other things that betray us will have no more claim, and our minds will be perfectly set upon that one singular God-given, eternally sublime work of, of considering the glory of Christ just as the angels in heaven do. Our minds will be resurrected. Our chemical imbalances will be resurrected one day. As we watch the news, 
Perhaps you turn it on, scroll to it on your phone, whatever the case may be, and you scroll to it with a sense of pause before you even get to it, fearful of what you might read. We see and we look around and we see literal and metaphorical fires that burn all over this planet. And we look forward to and we anticipate a creation that it too will experience resurrection. We look forward to a creation that will not experience death, but knows life and knows that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is making all things new and and that we will enter into that promised land of the resurrection where creation will no longer groan, but will be set free from decay and bondage and will experience the fullness of God's redeeming work upon her. And lastly, even us. As if all of these are us, but as we consider our Lord and we consider Christ Jesus, our Redeemer, the one who is himself the resurrection and the life, As we consider Him, our hearts, they yearn to see Him. They ache to behold Him. He sustains us in this moment by His Word. He promises to guide us and lead us by His power and His faithfulness in this life is sure. But yet we yearn to see Him fully. And freely. For now, we only see him through that mirror dimly. We will see him in the resurrection, who is the one that the scriptures testify of, who is the one that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob looked to, who is the power of God made visible before us. The compelling call of the resurrection is that God is the God of the living and not the dead because Jesus died in our place that we might live. He took the death that we might live and He is the God of the living. The hope of the resurrection that we share is that though He is not in front of us right now, one day He will be and we will see His face and when that day comes, we will be more alive than we have ever known or experienced. And so we look at that Lord Jesus and we look at that promise and we say, come Lord Jesus in this world that is full of death for You are not the God of the dead but of the living, and we yearn to reflect upon the glory of our risen Lord throughout the eternity of our resurrection. Let's pray together. Lord, we yearn for resurrection, and we thank You for hope in the promise of the resurrection. We thank you for the foretaste that we have of it spiritually now as you have given new birth to our hearts. And we yearn for the fullness of complete new birth that will come on that day. Lord, I pray that you would encourage brothers and sisters who feel as if they are hanging on by a thread as they await resurrection. Hold them close. 
and help them to see that they will see you forevermore. And that in you, they will live. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.